you are Locked On Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hail you true sons and daughters, I'm John Miller, your Mizzou mafioso and central scrutinizer of Missouri Tigers football and basketball five days a week. And today's episode of Locked on Mizzou is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20% off your next order. And on this episode, I want to touch a little bit on Drew Locke and Albert O, who was active for the first time as a Denver Bronco yesterday. Also, I want to touch on my betting style a little bit. Yeah, you can follow me over at tallysite.com where I had a nice 6-2 and two week this past Saturday. So I want to talk about my contrarian betting style a little bit more. But you know what? To kick off this episode, I think we got to talk about the new Missouri football schedule because, well, we haven't talked about it since Thursday. I took Friday's episode off and by golly, some big, big news around here. And that is, of course, we already knew the Vanderbilt game had been moved around, but because of, well, questions about Florida being able to field enough men for the October 24th game in Gainesville, well, now that October 24th game this Saturday is actually going to be in Columbia, and it's going to be against the Kentucky Wildcats. Now Florida will be on Halloween and still will be in Gainesville, of course. Frankly, even though a bye week on some level may not have been the worst thing in the world for Missouri, quite frankly, that would have been a nice week to play Vanderbilt, to get an actual two-game winning streak going. And yes, I'm assuming that Missouri beats Vanderbilt because, frankly, they've been just that bad so far. Yes, they beat us last year and, and fairly easily, frankly. It wasn't even particularly a close football game, but... Still, this season's Vanderbilt team, I originally said that Arkansas and Vanderbilt were the only two likely wins on the schedule. Well, I'd still keep Vanderbilt there, and I might even say they're an almost surefire win at this point based on how they've played. But Arkansas, on the other hand, that's going to be a ball game. Barry Odom has that team definitely playing some good defense. Their new head coach has them playing some okay offense at times, too. Just Arkansas looking a lot more competent than they've looked in years, quite frankly. So all of a sudden, that's looking like a, a toss-up game for Missouri. But again, just back to the importance of this upcoming Kentucky game, which I'll certainly break down in detail as the week goes along here. But my first initial thoughts are, man, we better win this one or it might be a while before we get another victory. Because if you look at this schedule, of course, as I already said, Next week, after Kentucky, the following week, we're at Florida. Now, the thing about the Gators is they may not be quite as good as I expected them to be. However, anytime you're going into Gainesville against a really high-powered offense, quite frankly, but that Florida defense not showing a whole lot. So you could see a world in which maybe that game becomes a shootout like the LSU game did, and perhaps Missouri could hang in there. But still, you got to assume that's a likely loss at Florida. Then Missouri has a bye week. Then Missouri has to play Georgia at home. Now, obviously, we all just saw Georgia lose to Alabama, but if I were voting in the top 25, I honestly think I would keep Georgia right there at number three despite their loss because, honestly, who, who do you like better than them? It certainly can't be North Carolina after this past week. 
there just aren't a lot of top elite teams to me in this college football season that are just as dominant as they usually are. Look at Oklahoma, who is struggling. I mean, other than Clemson and Alabama, who are the great teams? I don't think there is a truly great team out there other than those two. And frankly, Georgia is every bit as talented at just about every position. Unfortunately, when Jamie Newman, the Wake Forest transfer, decided to opt out of the season at quarterback for the Bulldogs, well, they weren't left with an obvious answer. But again, the point is, despite not having a great quarterback, in my mind, Georgia is still truly an elite team. So now you're looking, I just said three weeks in a row, you've got Florida, Georgia, a bye week. That's a long time to go with potentially not winning a football game. So we need to beat Kentucky this Saturday. We really do, because all of a sudden, you lose that Kentucky game, now you're, again, you're staring at a hole, at a really tough slate there for three weeks, including a bye week. Then following that, you get at South Carolina. We all know that's a tough football game every single year for the Tigers. Then you take on Arkansas. Then at Mississippi State and Vanderbilt to, to finish the season. Obviously, the we're finishing a lot easier than we started with this schedule. And honestly, Mississippi State looks like a mess right now. So suddenly, I'm thinking Missouri should be favored on the road in that game, at least at this moment. Now, ask me how I feel about it on December 5th when that game is scheduled. But for now, I expect Missouri to win that game. Now, as for Kentucky, I haven't been a big believer in this football team so far because from my experience the defense first run it over and over again type teams as Kentucky is this season that's tough to count on week after week and here's why because frankly if you're going to play that type of football in the year 2020 and a lot of weeks Kentucky is running the ball three to one in terms of passes they're running it three times as much as they're throwing it so if you're going to win that way, you're probably not going to put up a lot of points, and you're going to need to force turnovers. You're going to need to win the turnover battle. And certainly they did that last week, the last two weeks, in fact, in their two victories. They forced six turnovers against Mississippi State, and this past week against Tennessee, they forced four, including two interceptions that they returned into the end zone. Now that's great. That's great defense. It all counts. I'm not taking anything away from them. But is intercepting a p two passes and taking it into the end zone, does that strike you as something that you can count on every single week? And of course, against Auburn and Ole Miss, Kentucky did not force any turnovers. Maybe they forced one in one of those games, but it wasn't the six and four that they had in their victories. Well, they took losses there. So to me, if Missouri can just hold on to the football they'll probably win. That's how I'm feeling at this moment. Maybe I'll change my mind. But frankly, the idea that Kentucky is a six-point favorite in Columbia this weekend, I think they're getting a lot of respect when I don't, I don't totally see it. That's not a good offense. And frankly, if their defense is going to rely so heavily on turnovers in order to win a football game, I just don't see that as something I'd be willing to bet on, giving six points on the road if you're a Kentucky Wildcat backer. I, I just can't see it. So, frankly, this game's a toss-up to me. I, I don't think Missouri certainly doesn't deserve to be favored, but I don't really think Kentucky deserves to be either. They're getting a lot of credit based on some turnover numbers that, again, frankly, I don't think are sustainable. And speaking of unsustainable, well, I don't think you're going to win a lot of NFL football games by not scoring an offensive touchdown, but 
the Denver Broncos and Drew Locke pulled it off. And I want to talk more about Drew's performance and Albert O's NFL debut. But first, a new sponsor, our friends at Coors Light. And you know what? As tasty as this mountain cold refreshment is all the time under any circumstances, well, you're never going to have a better Coors Light than when you've earned it. Like I did yesterday, spent a lot of time landscaping, picking weeds, all that fun stuff. But by golly, when the football, when football started at noon, when the NFL kicked off, it was time to chill. It was time to relax. And what better way to do so than with a cold, tasty Coors Light? So when you are ready to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that's made to chill. And even better, you can now get Coors Light in its new look, delivered right to your door at get.coorslight.com. Again, that's get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And of course, where would this podcast be without our great friends at Built Bar? And of course, the great thing about Build Bar, beyond its chocolatey, tasty goodness, is that it's a treat that you frankly don't have to feel bad about. It's packed with protein, it's low-cal, low in carbs, all that good stuff. And best of all, they've got 18 amazing flavors, so you're sure to find something that will tickle your fancy. And if you're really trying to be judicious, well, you can be like my mom, who cuts her Built Bars in half. That's how that's how disciplined she is. But regardless of how you're consuming them, go to buildbar.com and use the promo code locked on and you'll get 20% off your next order. Yes, that's right, 20% off for our for our loyal listeners. Again, use the promo code locked on for 20% off at buildbar.com. All right. Two live reads in one break. How about that? It makes it not even really a break for your boy. I just got to keep plowing on through this episode, and that's certainly what we're going to do right here on Locked on Missouri. And obviously, we got to talk a little bit about Drew Locke and Albert O for a second. Now, the big stat that was circulating around Twitter was that Drew Locke was the youngest quarterback to ever win at Gillette Stadium. Now, that's a very impressive sounding fact there for sure but the reality is if you watch that football game Drew Locke was far from good in that game now I'll grant you something I'll grant that he's coming off an injury it's his first game back maybe it's a little bit of rust maybe he's still not a hundred percent healthy I'm not totally sure but from my eyes I didn't see the ball the ball was coming out of his hands just fine in terms of, of velocity, in terms of arm strength that, that we're accustomed to seeing from Drew. But, boy, his decision-making left something to be desired at times. And also, frankly, I just think Bill Belichick is going to do this to young quarterbacks. He's going to make them look bad. He knows what they like to do. He knows their first looks, and he's going to always take that away. So maybe just a learning experience here for young Mr. Locke. But I'll tell you, that second interception he threw was just an absolutely terrible decision. I mean, the Broncos were winning the game. They basically needed to run out the clock. Now, you could say maybe Vic Fangio and the Broncos the Broncos coaches should have dialed up some more run plays in this moment. But if you're Drew Locke, you can't just throw the ball up in the air to a streaking wide receiver when a safety is over the top in that situation. 
frankly, you can't ever make that throw, but especially as the clock is winding down on the game and you're about to win, essentially. If you just don't turn the ball over, you're probably going to win. Cam Newton and the Patriots have done next to nothing offensively the entire game. So just that moment of poor decision-making, it's just one of those moments that reminds me why I've never been all in on Drew Locke as an NFL prospect or just as a quarterback in general. Now, don't get me wrong, loved him at Missouri. He was a really, really good college quarterback, and we were lucky to have him. I just could never get to the heights of, oh, he's a first-round pick, he's a top-ten pick, as some people thought at the very height of their sort of Drew Locke love. I don't know if those people still believe that, but I was never one of them. I liked him as a second-round prospect, just not as the sort of top-ten guy that people were acting like he was originally. I just think it's interesting that certain people, even Von Miller, who's now injured for the season for the Broncos, but one of the best defensive players in the league, a respected veteran, has been really supportive of Drew Locke, especially his leadership, his moxie, all that good stuff, and just believes that Drew is the quarterback of the future for Denver. And I really genuinely hope that he is. I'm just not, I still need to be, I still need a little bit more convincing. I really do. That he's actually a viable, no doubt, starting quarterback for the next 10 years in this league. I'm just not there yet. I want to see it, but I haven't seen it yet. Now, as for Albert O, one thing it was cool to see very into the game as the Broncos ended up getting the victory there, standing right next to Drew Locke and celebrating was Albert O. And it does seem like they had a really good relationship in college. Seems like they're genuinely friends. So, you know, that's probably a good thing for Albert O's career. Obviously, Drew's going to look his way sometimes. He's used to used to looking for Albert O. And he did. He looked his way at least three times that I saw, had two catches for 45 yards and nearly came down with a touchdown pass at one point in the game too. Looked like a pretty nice fade throw to Albert from Drew and just couldn't quite hang on to it at the end. The the New England defender did a nice job of knocking the ball out at the very end. It looked like he was going to secure that to his body, but really, frankly, just a good defensive play. So really, Albert O showed some moments. It seemed like he was able to get open more easily than maybe I had 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 anticipated. Because last year for Missouri, I felt like either he looked a little bit heavier or just maybe it was just his feet seemed heavier to me. I don't know if he was injured or just I don't know what, but it just didn't seem like he was coming in and out of his breaks very well. It just didn't seem like he was getting open very well. But on his 25-yard about catch from Drew on one play, beats man coverage rather easily and gets open a really easy completion, probably the easiest completion Drew had the entire game for 25 yards. So, you know, give Alberto some credit there for sure. It'll be interesting to see how his career turns out. Bottom line, while that was a nice win for the Denver Broncos, it doesn't make me ready to crown Drew Locke as the heir apparent to John Elway or anything just yet. And frankly, I need to see more from Albert Okwebunam too. So for now, let's just pump the brakes. And speaking of pumping the brakes, I want to talk more about my contrarian betting style right after this quick break. Well, over on Tally site where you can follow my against the spread and totals picks 
every single week I've had one really bad week sandwiched by two really good weeks. Fortunately, this past week I was 6-2. and two. Solid. Very solid. You're going to get real rich if you go 6-2 and two every single week. So I'll certainly take that. But among my two losses was Clemson and Georgia Tech. Yes, I had Georgia Tech getting 27 points. Wasn't quite enough, was it? Clemson ends up winning 73-7. to And the point in me bringing that up is, well, my previous week was the bad week. And a lot of that was, a lot of those losses were actually fairly close losses where I wasn't beating myself up so much afterwards. For instance, the Red River shootout, I took Texas as an underdog getting three points. And, well, at the end of regulation, the game was tied. So in my mind, that's a pretty darn good bet. Of course, the problem is Oklahoma ends up winning by six in overtime, so I lose my bet. Now, was that a terrible pick, or did I just get a little bit unlucky there? I'd say I got a little bit unlucky there. But regardless, a loss is a loss. Now, on the other side of the equation, again, I got demolished by Clemson. Maybe let's not bet against Clemson the rest of the year. How about that? But the point is, is I'm not beating myself up for the Clemson loss. You know why? Because if you're a contrarian better, if you're going to go against the grain, sometimes you're going to look really, really, really stupid, as I did taking Georgia Tech plus 27 yesterday when they ended up losing by 65 or whatever it was. But that's just all emotional thinking. The reality is those two losses counted the same. If anything, I'm just going to say one thing I've learned over the years is while I'm more of a contrarian better for, frankly, human psychological reasons, you want to go against the grain because the vast majority of people, you're sort of Joe Blow better, is going to want to always take the favorite. They're always going to want to give the points. They're always going to want to take Clemson minus 27. And you know what? Over the long term, for a team like Clemson and Alabama, this is sort of the opposite of contrarianism. One thing I've discovered over the years is if you're a truly great generational type team, like maybe Alabama and Clemson are this year, well, sometimes that makes it tough for the odds makers to make the lines high enough. And quite frankly, those teams end up covering more often than not just because they are that great. So that's something to keep in mind with Clemson. But my general thought there was that, okay, Miami the previous week was probably Clemson's biggest game on its ACC schedule. I figured psychologically that they would get up for that game. I was frankly counting on a bit of a letdown week going down to Atlanta and playing a a fairly middling Georgia Tech team, let's be honest. I was just counting on really just purely a letdown from Clemson in that game. It wasn't based on anything more than that. Well, obviously that ended up being incorrect. But over the long term, I might not go against Clemson in that spot anymore, but just the general psychology of games that teams get up for and games that are obvious letdowns. When I was younger, I thought that was way too simplistic of an analysis, but the older I get, boy, it's, it's hard to argue against those patterns. And also, speaking of, again, what is Joe Blow better going to do? Especially on totals, on over-unders, they almost always take the over. And I don't have these numbers in front of me, but in the last few years in the NFL, something like 60% or more 
of unders are actually hitting. So Vegas continues to make bigger and better casinos and sports books because people continue to bet the over. Because that's what people want to do. It's more fun to bet the over. They want to see points. But think about that. 60 plus percent. You just bet on every single under and you would have been a, a, a relative millionaire. I mean, depending on how much you bet, 60% is astonishing. It really is. Because in order to break even, you include, you include the VIG, right? So you got to hit 53%, give or take, to break even. Now, the best bettors in the entire world aren't hitting 60% for very long. They just aren't. So, of course, when Ole Miss and Alabama have that 100-point total between the two of them, I think it was more than 100 even, well, then the following week, your Joe Blow better is going to want to take the over on the Ole Miss game. Well, what did I do? I was the contrary, and I took the under on the Ole Miss game, and that, that hit easily. That was my easiest bet of the week. I didn't have to sweat that at all. Ultimately, the point I'm really trying to make here is that while anytime you're making a bet, whether it's on a side or it's on a total, whatever it might be, there should be some football reasons behind it, don't get me wrong, but every bit as important as the football reasons for making a bet, arguably it might be more important, is to consider the human psychological dynamics, not only behind the people who are actually participating in the game, but just as importantly, the people betting. Because the bettors themselves, yes, the odds makers set the lines, but in reality... The, the bettors themselves, the market, is what sets the lines. The odds makers are placing a number based on where they think the action is going to be. But if, that, if they're wrong and the bettors are, are hammering one side of a bet, well, then the odds makers adjust. So really, in reality, it's your other fellow human beings, your fellow bettors. You have to consider what they're thinking. What's their psychology? What is average Joe Blow thinking? If you can figure out what average Joe Blow better is thinking and go against that, I promise you over the long term you're going to do okay. I really, really believe that. But of course, as always, bet for fun, for God's sakes, and don't bet more than you can afford to lose. So with all that being said, I'm John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou. Locked on Mizzou.